Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Isabella Chick, who's the Managing Director for Retail and the Beauty Sectors at Founders Factory. They've got accelerator and web studio programs that they run in New York and London and Paris and Johannesburg, headquartered out of London, of course. Isabella, welcome. It's good to see you. Nice to see you, too. I was wondering, um, you're kind of right in our wheelhouse here in terms of uh, what a lot of our viewers like to talk about, corporates and startups getting together. So, but uh, maybe tell us about, um, you know, the whole organization, Founders Factory, I think it's just a cool name. And uh, is it, um, are you in um, in the center of uh, London? Where are you guys? Yeah, well, uh, we're in we're in Kensington, which probably isn't like traditionally like a startup hub in London. We're in sort of genteel West London. Right. Um, we were founded about five years ago now, with a goal of building and accelerating two hundred startups, and we're just about there. Um, and and now the ambition is to get to like two thousand. So. Um, I'm not sure where, where it'll be if we catch up next year, but um, we were founded five years ago with six core kind of corporate partners who wanted to deploy capital into startups um, and work with the startups. That's a really important part. So I guess kind of startup corporate partnership is a kind of cornerstone of our model. Um, and we support existing startups through the accelerator. And we also build startups from scratch in our venture studio. All right, so let's dig into that. We'll get into the numbers uh, later on because sometimes it's a num- you know, numbers game, but sometimes it's not. You um, so so you've broken it up in accelerator and venture studio. There's other groups that have done similar things to that uh, yeah. in Chicago, Silicon Valley, uh, all around the world. Um, why did you take that approach? You have two founders that um, pretty much, I guess that was their idea. So maybe start with the accelerator first. You are you're focused on verticals. We'll talk about yours, of course, today. Uh, but how does the accelerator work? Is it different from others? So the accelerator it is a bit different from others and that, that we actually don't have an accelerator program. We don't run cohorts um, and we have an enormous operating team. So I think that does make us a bit different from most people. Um, whether it was mad or a good idea, well, only time will tell. But, <laughs> most, people uh... <laughs> most people don't say enormous operating team. Usually, that, usually that usually says overhead. But, um, I know it's, it, I, you told me that you've got like a hundred people. I assume some of those are people like me, volunteer mentors, advisors. Types we actually of, have or... no no mentors or advisors. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. So that is, that's very different. That's putting your money where that your mouth is. I like super that. Super hands-on support. Um, actual lots of doing rather than mentoring and coaching. We roll up our sleeves and, and, uh, and get in the weeds of stuff. So our team is everything from growth marketing to product design, um, data science, basically everything that a well-funded startup, all of the functions a well-funded startup would love to have but can so rarely afford to have at the very earlier stages. Exactly. So we hire those people and um, enable our startups to, to work with them. So ideally, we're kind of getting in the weeds, getting everything kind of moving, showing by doing, essentially, is what we like to say. Um, and hopefully, after six months of working with us, the startup is on a 
better trajectory than they were when they started. And what, um, what does your track record look like? I guess, first of all, how many startups? So you said you, you don't do the normal cohort model. Which, no, but we, but we do deploy capital quite systematically. So we do invest. Um, we've got this kind of sector model and we invest in five startups on the accelerator every year. Uh, but they all start at the right time for the startup and for us. Um, and and they work with us for six months, but they don't follow. There's no kind of prescribed path through this. You don't kick them out, as we say. Some people, well, we don't kick them out. But also some people, you know, some people maybe have like a huge focus on growth marketing. If it's like a direct right. to consumer brand, um, others might be a much deeper focus on kind of product and data science. So we do com- completely we run completely bespoke programs for each business yeah of course um so roughly how many have been through over the last few years well so this year 68 startups have come through wow um technical term wow yeah <laughs> well i just know how, much, I know how much work it is but yeah you guys, no, you guys have scaled been, it which is impressive wide, i mean We've we've scaled it, but not by doing things that are particularly scalable. So we've just worked really <laughs> hard this year. Oh gosh, but we're still we're still looking for that secret sauce um, of figuring out how to do this properly, uh, to do it scalably, not properly. I think we've probably cracked out at it properly. How to do it scalably is probably our our real challenge. And you focused on eight verticals, is that right? Eight verticals. Wow. Yeah, so these are our past. Normally, I'd say having verticals is a good focus, but eight is like, I don't know, that's, that's a lot of verticals. It's a lot of verticals. Um, so we've got kind of managing directors that come in and run kind of one or two of these. Um, and I'm very like lucky that mine are fairly complementary, that I run retail and and, eat, and uh, beauty sectors. So there's an awful lot of kind of e-com enablers and, and businesses that are kind of um, enabling both sectors to thrive. Um but yes, it is. Um, essentially, we we've got a lot of really smart generalists. Yep. Some of which have got more of a kind of B two B bias. Some have got B two C. But even though we invest in beauty, we're not necessarily investing in like beauty products. Um, it might be like AI, Martech solutions that aren't necessarily kind of beauty investments, but are really important for the beauty sector to succeed. Well, in general, yeah, of course. Um, so before we jump into that, uh, let's touch on the other part of the operation, which is a venture studio. What's uh, what's going on there? What's the uh, what's the flow like? The flow there again, we deploy capital quite systematically, so we build two businesses per sector per year, um, and we have two ways of working. Sometimes we come up with some crazy ideas of a business that we think needs to be there, partly because we get fantastic insight from working with our corporate partners. Um, and over the course of years, obviously, from the kind of broader ecosystem, we hope that we have quite good kind of early signals on the market. Um, and other times we work with founders who have a concept um, right. or a very early, early business that they want to build. And um, and we work with them over the course of a year. We invest £250,000 into developing that product and a year of full-on support. So hopefully seeing them through to that kind of pre-seed um, raise right. at the end of it. But equally, some have gone straight to Series A. So, And if I'm, and if I'm in the venture studio versus your um, accelerator, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get more access to resources and more more, more shoulder behind me, as we say. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a slightly different kind of commercial offer. We'll take a little bit more of the cap table there. Yep. Um, 
but you know these are um we do see ourselves as kind of co-founders and and that kind of first year of the business brilliant if, if you look across the accelerator and the i'll make it easy for you and the um venture studio what's uh what are your, some of your favorite uh, startups that you've uh, launched? Maybe not in your sector. Let's start with ones that aren't in yours. So there's one we have, despite being kind of sector focused, we do occasionally decide to do uh, what we call a cross sector business. Mm. So where we'll kind of double up investment where we think we can get kind of super linear returns. Um, we have built a really ambitious business in this space, a business called Nate. Um, that is create has created a kind of universal checkout. So in a world where if you're a publisher and you have in a particular feature products from five different brands on one site, you wouldn't send a person to five different websites to complete the transaction individually. So you could have a kind of universal basket. So that's been quite crazy um, and fun. We're just starting to build one in synthetic media at the moment, which I'm really excited about. Um, trying to create kind of purpose-driven characters for the metaverse. Mm, nice. um, it's different. And, and we've been doing an awful lot in, I mean, a, a lot of investments that I'm closest to around kind of interactive commerce, mm -hmm. um, which we have kind of taken quite a deep, quite a deep series of bets in. Um, on the venture studio as well as on the accelerator um, kind of a, an area that we're investing in heavily so let's jump into some of your corporate uh, partners the um you know we we run a program out of uh, chicago called dancing with startups so we bring it's like been going on for over a decade right bringing some of the largest corporations together with startups all around the world accelerate growth and so everyone has pretty much copied that um you seem to have taken it to an interesting level and um I've gotten some pretty good reviews. What, um, how's the program work, and who, who are some of your partners maybe to start out with? Just give everybody an idea. Um, so, I, I mean, I'll maybe talking my, about my experience specifically is sure. I work on the beauty sector with L'Oreal, um, mm -hmm. and we are the sort of main uh, accelerator and venture studio program that they run. Um, and we have we work very very closely with the UK team, but um, our stakeholders are ultimately in the kind of global Paris team, um, or the global team based in Paris, yep. that looks after innovation um, globally. Um, so we do have good reach across the world, really, um, for those businesses. And we've enabled I think over two hundred pilots with L'Oreal for the beauty startups. Um, so that's been fantastic. Um, and on the retail side, we work with Marks and Spencers in the UK. Um, and they also have been a fantastic partner to our startups. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the way that they work with us is really, we've become almost like an extension, a, a kind of, um, we're another string to that kind of innovation bow. Um, they normally have lots of other kind of partnership. And in some cases, like L'Oreal's got a corporate venture capital arm. Um, they also run a program with Station F, which is equity free. So we're kind of one part of, of this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, but we do find that we, we get quite good results where we build really close relationships at the kind of at the executive levels, but also at the working levels, um, which is really critical. Um, we have secondees come and join our startups occasionally 
uh, about two a year from L'Oreal um, and one a year from Marks and Spencers. And that really is, it enables a very close kind of cultural exchange um, between the organisations where hopefully we enable their team to be upskilled and properly learn what it's like to work at a startup and develop kind of proper empathy and, and some new skills and how to move quite scrappily and quickly. Um, yeah, we call that the uh, rub off effect. Yes. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, it works. It works in some companies. And um, yeah, but, but I suppose you know, we've got kind of just good relationships across the board um, with all different teams that we're working with. So whenever we start investing in a new area, we have to start building the relationships with all the relevant stakeholders um, so that we're really able to understand, A, their pain points, because that helps us make better investments. Yeah. Um, and it also enables us to set um, expectations and priorities right so that we're pushing the right pilots at the right time, saving hopefully quite a lot of headache for um, both startup and corporate if they're kind of not matched quite right. Um, and rather than just doing matching, we actually then go and shepherd the whole kind of pilot process, set the KPIs, ensure that we've got really, you know, that everyone knows what good looks like, how to measure it. Um, take startups through the very painful procurement process, try and enable corporates to make that process a little bit more startup friendly. Um, I mean, it's really kind of soup to nuts. Um, anything that we can do to enable that collaboration, we will do. Right, right. You're a perfect translator, but you also get the work done with them for them. And what's the commitment from the uh, from the corporates typically? How's the program work for them? They're investing capital, time, money, resources. All of the above. Yep. All of the above. It's fairly involved from that part. It's no, um, it's not a kind of light touch. Come to a demo day once, uh, you know, yeah. once a year. <laughs> they the, sit on the investment committee. The they have demo a day petting zoo phase. <laughs> uh, sometimes that gets them started, though. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's we we try and avoid doing any any sort of showcase that doesn't result in actual business development from the startups or some sort of some value exchange. Um, because I think it can just become a sort of a piece of ent corporate entertainment, um, which we try and avoid because I don't think that's valuable for anyone, actually. Um, but what we do do is um, we engage startups ahead of the businesses that we invest in. They have a, they have a vote at the investment committee equal to ours. Um, and at that point, we define who... Who do we think is going to be kind of the, the best businesses to solve kind of immediate pain points, in which case there's really clear kind of pilot opportunities, which ones might benefit initially from kind of more of a kind of mentoring and insight based relationship right. and then move into a commercial relationship. So it's kind of just trying to be really clear at the start with what everyone should be expecting from the relationship, um, which means that we can be quite open in terms of saying, actually, in some cases, we're just interested in keeping an eye on a particular market or we think it's a really strong founder and from a financial return perspective we just want to make the investment mm -hmm. and in other cases it's super strategic um, and they may even do a follow-on round from their corporate venture capital arm so we enable all kind of formats of collaboration right and uh how many beauty retail um startups have you brought into the program um, so if we do five a year per sector, we're mm -hmm. on our fifth year on beauty, so 25 startups we've invested yeah, in. So, so no crazy numbers. Five. It's more about quality, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, it's difficult to tell because everyone's got slightly different kind of view of what kind of crazy numbers look like. Well, <laughs> but, when you said 2,000, uh, we're going to come back to that because that's, uh, <laughs> that's a bit much, I think. But 2,000, we'll, I think. We'll end up on that one, your future yeah. goals. Um, so tell us about some of the, uh, you know, beauty tech and uh, or maybe the mix. What are some of the targets and mix when you look at the retail health, beauty and wellness as we categorize it at Revive? What um, what's your lens look like? What, do you, what have you brought in so far categorically and what are you looking for in terms of startups and uh, categories? Um, so in terms of categories, I think anything that makes the customer experience more engaging more personalized um is always really appealing um so i think anything from kind of mass customization to sort of bringing in a service layer to an e-com journey um whether that's kind of skin diagnostics um or hair diagnostics we just built a really interesting business which is going to launch in january called cara um, which is enabling the t- uh, people with textured hair to get um, hair coaching in order to enable their hair to go natural and to look after it properly because there's a real dearth of education um, in, in the community um, and then enable them to get kind of you know, reach their kind of ideal hair goals. Um, so that's super interesting. I'm also very interested in any businesses that enable us to target a new channel in a different way. So we've built one um called expertly which is enabling kind of freelance beauty professionals to earn money from the recommendations they already make in order to provide a better service to their customers mm-hmm. um so that one's really interesting um anything around kind of interactive commerce group buying is sort of interesting and i'm quite interested in kind of how the affiliate networks are going to evolve in the future yeah, so you create kind of affiliate networks for kind of physical space. Can you create um, sort of new business models and incentives there? Um, so I think, you know, those are sort of areas I'm personally very interested in. Um, but equally, you know, if we find some really interesting kind of deep tech um, approach to you know, using a technology in a different way to solve a kind of beauty or retail thing, then I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of spikes in demand with the uh, global lockdown going on for, Josh, uh, about a year now. <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, consumer behavior shift has been just so dramatic. So Revive uh, has a health, beauty, wellness index that measures all these spikes in demand, many of them up like 400%, 400, yeah. you know, depending on what the categories they're searching, but personalization, skincare is up versus cosmetics kind of shifting to not as important. Um, everything. There's quite like, nowhere to go. I mean, I think, I think cosmetics is going to make a huge comeback. I reckon there's a massive pent up. Oh yeah. For oh, like gosh. luxury yeah. and glamour and parties yeah, and socializing. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a, and it's a good question. What is, what are some of the temporary shifts you think for retail and uh, which ones are more long-term? What are your, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I think like the really short term stuff is how do you make like your retail space COVID safe? Like how yeah. can you get somebody in through the door and yeah. make and encourage them to come in and make them feel safe when they're doing it? So whether that's like lots of click and collect, um, it's that kind of hybrid approach between kind of e-com and retail and still using your kind of physical retail 
footprint to, to work for you and maybe upsell and store. Um, but I think longer term, I, do, I mean, I just don't know that people are going to stop buying online now that they've been forced to and they've had like a year of this being their p- dominant behavior. I just don't think there's any going back from that. So how do you use that store space effectively to create, you know, to sell differently, to create a different experience? Um, and how do you start to kind of empower those really brilliant, smaller local retailers to do a good job? Um, Which has been a big, a big problem. I'll just give you the U.S., um, maybe not the stats because that would take too long, but two trends that are troubling it's amazon walmart target other big box guys they're so happy because everything's off the chart we just had walmart on before you and i'm like yeah great but small businesses crush another interesting trend though that doesn't get talked about a lot is called consolidated buying so therefore if i go to one of those big box stores i'm trying to get as much as i can and get the heck out of there as we say and you know load up my truck and go home Uh, however even companies like Walgreens are suffering because you know thousands of stores all over the place, and you know Boots obviously in the, in the UK. Yeah. Um, but they are suffering from the consumer bundling behavior because they're you know the more specialty people would run in and get stuff at these. They're almost like a little store. That's so one of the bigger uh, categories that's been affected. But the small business and startups and all of that, it's um, it's been a it's been a tremendous blow. But it sure hasn't slowed down investment, has it? I mean, look at kind of Shopify's doing brilliantly. Um, so there are kind of there are independents doing super well. Yeah, shop um, runner, a shop runner, one of our friends in Chicago. They just uh, are going to get bought up by FedEx. There's a, but that's more e-commercey kind of you know targeting stuff. A lot of that going on. So it's definitely. I mean, you're right. It's definitely shifted behavior. It's going to be. It's it's blown up the world. The word omni-channel once and for all. It's like hey, it's. It's, it's no matter where you are, but there's still a lot of stores that they don't know when you're in store. They know when you're online, but they don't always know when you're in store unless they force you to use the app in store, which some people find irritating. Um, yeah. Whereas you've got something like a, you know, a, a, a Revive, uh, you know, skin diagnostics app or, you know, take your pick there where there's a reason for somebody to use something in store. But many consumers don't necessarily want to whip out their phone just to check out. It's just like, um, yeah, I, mean, so I think we've got a long way to go on the omnichannel front, I guess. Are you seeing some opportunities there? Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, I think they'll, they'll still be a long way to walk because it's a big shift in consumer behavior and that's always going to take longer to, to change and startup ideas are to come. So, you know, what, where does, where do we feel comfortable as consumers? Like, what's the what are the changes in behavior that we can make and that we'll accept um, in the near term? I don't know. Um, it feels like you've got to walk a line between the convenience of e-com and the experience of retail. And anything that doesn't provide either an experience or convenience is going to fall short. So I think that's kind of I think that's the piece to think about. Um, there's an awful lot of things you could be doing with in-store technology, but if they're not really providing a better customer experience, honestly, it's just not going to be used. Um, what's the point? Unless there's a good benefit. Like, you know, in the States, they force a lot of people to use it for their loyalty 
points or yes. whatever you want to well, call it. Exactly. And then <laughs> that's a good benefit for many customers, not all. So yeah, it depends what the experience is. You know, is it engagement? Is it shopping cart size? Is it but just getting consumers in twenty one and twenty two to stop the bundling and stop the consolidated buying and it uh, at least in this country, I think it's going to take a little while, and eventually they'll be happy to go out. Whereas in the UK, you, you've got more of the shops mentality. Um, yeah, there's a bit more. Well, it's just a different like fabric of the cities, right? I think there's kind of yeah. you know there's more of a top up shop kind of mentality, even for your grocery shopping. It's there's right. slightly different patterns, um, but I think there's. I think there's an awful lot actually that big box retailers can be doing to kind of to work with independent brands to both drive kind of interest and footfall within their stores. And I think there's there's going to be in the same way as we see a lot of startup corporate collaboration working really well. I yep. think the next part that we're going to see in kind of the retail sector is going to be around kind of independent brand and large retailer, maybe not Walmart, but, you know, may, maybe somebody that's larger and can provide some of the great kind of distribution um, and data and access and customer acquisition channels for these smaller brands. Right, right, right. So Walmart is doing that now, very much like uh, Amazon, like yeah. selling through smaller reach, smaller providers of, of products. Yeah. Um, also working with startups all over the globe to try to accelerate uh, growth and things. So, so you're working with Marks and Spencer. So will you bring a lot of these brands to them and to get them in store and channel? I mean, I'm sure you're bringing them e-com solutions and all the boring tech stuff, but <laughs> the, yeah. on the consumer product side, is, is much of We've that going done. on? or? I mean, we've we've done we've done it once actually only with them because they generally stock their own brand. They're yeah. they're quite a peculiar kind of grocer and retailer in that that they're both brand and retailer, um, and they go from food all the way to kind of home and um, and fashion. Um, but we did have a we we did manage to get a dog food brand invested in and stocked there within six weeks, which was a good result. Um, um, but I think Six you know it, it, it's like well, exactly no exactly. So I mean, it is you know it does a testament to how speedily they can move. But I think it's harder for some big retailers to work with independent brands on their kind of core ranges. So here we're really lucky. It was kind of pet food. They were looking to kind of refresh that range. Consumer behaviors shifted a lot there, and their kind of product assortment didn't quite line up. So we had a great opportunity. Um, but generally, it's a little bit harder to get um, brilliant kind of venture returns on some kind of um, product brands who are probably are looking for slightly different types of um, capital. Yeah, I love how you put that so subtly. Um, so tell us about uh, personalization, especially in beauty and skincare, and and a lot of a lot of activity going on there. A lot of retailers I mean, trying like to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, look at Function of Beauty's raise last week or two weeks ago that was just announced, $150 million um, for personalized hair care. So that is um, certainly a, a sign that customers really like it. Um, and I think we're just kind of tip of the iceberg at the moment. You know, it's kind of pick what a little bit on the formulation, a lot on the kind of color and experience and label on the bottle. So I think there's like an awful, there's an awfully long way to go on personalization down to like what the actual like depth of the formulation is going to be for any product. Right. Um, and I think we're just at the, we're just at the kind of tip of the iceberg here. 
the things that we're starting to see in kind of skincare will be typically like a particular retinal concentration and kind of taking people through a journey um, on that, whether it's for kind of acne or um, wrinkle care. Um, for hair care, it'll be kind of, you know, the right quantity of kind of conditioning ingredients um, and then kind of level of fragrance that you like. But, you know, this is, it's still quite light personalization. There's an awfully long way to go. And I'm excited to see where that goes because I think that does start to change the way that the industry as a whole works. It right. becomes much more one-to-one rather than kind of mass products to the many. How, how do uh, out of startups get into your program? You said, you know, you've, you're talking like a couple hundred. You're thinking of expanding that maybe tenfold, which is um, a, oh. bit a bit mind-boggling. <laughs> but if you're not in the physical space, uh, you know, genre as much anymore. I guess it's easier to scale. Um, how, do, how do they go? What did they do? That. Do they just call you and you let them in now? Or? <laughs> so we um, we we speak to startups all year round. Um, we probably accept, I think, just under one percent of people that apply. Oh, that's um, not very encouraging to the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Give them some um, tips. How should they? Uh, how should they improve that percentage? But I think the I think the 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 startups that we take on the accelerator have product in market. And some sense of proposition market fit, not necessarily yet a kind of proper product market fit, but proposition market fit. The people that are using it really like it, even if it's a small number, that we're starting to get really good customer feedback. Because um, I think that's the only thing, that's the only way of knowing whether you're in the, going in the right direction, right? Um, so anything that you can kind of prove around the way that you're building your product, the way you're listening to your clients and the fact that they like it um, and that it meets a fundamental need. Um, and then obviously the kind of, you know, I suppose more obvious things of like, you know, are you, are you, is this a big problem to solve? Is, this, is there a big market opportunity or are you going after a very, very niche um, and small market? In which case, uh, you know, we'd probably ask you to kind of zoom out a little bit and, and see if there's a bigger problem to tackle. Um, but we work with, we speak to startups the whole time and we bring them to an investment committee when we think they're ready. So there are businesses that we kind of keep a, keep an eye on for a long time. Um, and once we think that they've got a good chance of getting to investment committee, then we bring them and prepare them for that and, all, and everything. So we do look to build quite long-term relationships um, with founders. Right. Perfect. Well, that sounds good. The... Um... Isabella, I have so many more things to uh, ask you, but our, uh, our time is up. I uh, appreciate you coming on and um, love the uh, Founders Factory story and uh, look forward to hearing more about you in the future as you guys grow. Great. Thank you very much for having me on, Dean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Cheers. Merry Christmas. Take care. Bye. Bye.